Welcome to Believe in Baltimore, a podcast conversation with community leaders and change makers in Baltimore, Maryland, hosted by Govins Presbyterian Church. We're your hosts, Reverend Tom Harris, Senior Pastor at Govins Presbyterian Church. And Reverend Billy Klutz, Associate Pastor here at Govins. And we believe in Baltimore. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Believe in Baltimore. Today, we have a very special guest, Marie McSweeney Anderson. Marie is the Assistant Director of the York Road Initiative at Loyola University. The York Road Initiative is a place-based community development initiative of Loyola University seeking to build civic capacity, strengthen the commercial corridor, enhance access to education and youth development, and increase access to fresh produce in partnership with neighbors along the York Road corridor. And anyone who spends much time at the Govins Farmers Market or York Road Partnership Meetings or any community event along the York Road corridor will already know Marie. They are a consistent and faithful presence in the community and are helping to make real change every day. Marie, thank you for being with us. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what motivates you to do the work you do in this community? Sure. First, I just want to say thank you for having me. I feel really honored, um, particularly because I think Govins Prez is one of the institutions along the corridor that really uh, puts action behind its mission. So I love this series and I can't wait to hear all of the folks who are interviewed. Um, but I'll answer the second question first, what motivates me to do the work that I do? Um, and so I grew up in a Catholic background and a Catholic household. Um, and so service and community have always been part of my life. And I think starting from a very young age, it was not unusual for us to be in downtown Baltimore, working at Beans and Bread, other meal programs. Um, but I think what was unique as part of my upbringing was the fact that my mom was a single mom for most of my life. And it was never an us and them, right? It was always, that could have been us. You know, if I miss one paycheck or if I lose my job, you, we could be on the other side of the table. And so I think that really took away the, the us and them factor or the othering that sometimes happens in service. And instead it really created a, a partnership and an, an expectation that that is a person with a life and a story um, and it really shifted how I thought about um, folks who are typically seen or who have been marginalized, um, either racially, gender, sexuality, et cetera, um, and created uh, a vision for how I would like to live my life in the future. So oh, the work... Yeah. Um, so the work that I do, um, you know, Pastor Tom, I think we've known each other for a while at this point, and I, I wear very many hats, and it really depends on where I am, um, the hat that I wear. So I think the umbrella that I sit within is the role of connector and collaborator. And so internal to the university, working for Loyola, another very large white anchor institution on the corridor, a lot of my role is education. 
And so some folks, um, you know, whether they be students, administrators, faculty come to the institution not knowing the history of Baltimore. And so not in not knowing creates fear as well, right? And so being able to break down the historical realities of Baltimore being the leading uh, housing segregation policymaker nationally in the early 1900s creates an understanding of the current realities and how that history has really perpetuated and permeated. And if we look at York Road, it's an almost too perfect, unfortunately, example of how, the, how that, those housing segregation, those racist housing segregation policies created the divided community that we see today. Um, additionally, I also act to develop resources, whether it be financial in kind. Um, there are so many resources that the university has, both human capital and financial, um, in order to move the mission of the university into uh, the leadership of community. And so everything that we do is really led by community, um, which I'll talk about a little bit later. And then I would say external to the university in my role, particularly with the York Road Partnership, um, I am the only full-time paid staff member who works on a day-to-day -day basis on the York Road Corridor, right? And so, it's the fourth district, but they have a much much larger lens that they're looking at. And so there's a lot of, right, York Road is a three mile stretch of corridor. Um, there's over 20 different neighborhoods that touch the York Road corridor. And so I'm a part of conversations at a city level, at a very small neighborhood level. And a lot of the work that I do is connect residents to each other um, and really push forward projects on a day-to-day -day basis when other folks have full-time jobs or five kids or right now in the pandemic are doing school and work at the same time somehow on the same computer. Um, and continuing the projects that really need some constant nudging on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm. Wow, that's an amazing explanation of a very complicated group of things that you do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm really, I, there's so many places we could go to talk a little more about that, but uh, one of the things that jumped out at me is the education part, and that's directed at Loyola students, right? That's a big part of what you do is introducing them to the community and to, to all the, the history of the community, racist and everything that's going on. It, that's one of your primary groups of, to educate, is that correct? Yeah, for the most part. And I, I will even say Loyola University started a white accountability group recently. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the first things that we talked about as a group is Loyola's role in and of itself as a white institution kind of nestled between these two historically white covenant communities. And what that means in looking at the divide along York Road and how Loyola was really not, was complicit. And in, in that creation of that divide. 
Wow, we need to talk more about that because as you know, we just started this racial justice ministry at Govins and that's exactly what we're looking at is our place as a predominantly white institution in a changing neighborhood and we stayed predominantly white and what factors influenced that? What obstacles did we place in the path of the community to, to make our, our church off limits or unwelcoming? Yeah. So uh, I'd love to hear more about that sometime. Yeah, and I think we could probably learn from each other because I think Loyola, we're still not all the way there yet in acknowledging harm, mm -hmm. but it's really hard to have reconciliation without acknowledgement of the harm that was done. And, that, and it takes a lot of work and research to, to mm -hmm. uncover the harm. It, you know, mm -hmm. because it gets so buried. We white white institutions and white supremacy are so good at, at burying it and covering it up. Let me give you one, one more question and, and I wanna give Billy a chance to ask some questions. Um, but the, the student connection is what really piqued my interest at first because uh, campus ministry was a big part of my development um, and finding a, a Presbyterian campus ministry in college was a life-changing experience for me. Do you, I'm sure that you see these sort of amazing transformations in the students you work with, these sort of scales falling from their eyes. Mm -hmm. uh, is that true? And what's that, what's that like to experience that? Yeah. So I say that I get to work with the students who are the cream of the crop at the university. And these are students who want to learn more and particularly students um, who want to shed some of the biases that they know that they have, we call it the growing edge, what you don't know that you don't know. Mm -hmm. um, and so particularly with students who are interns at the Center for Community Service and Justice, we have interns that sometimes start with us when they're first years and go all the way until senior year. And we have students who transform and it's affirming to me that I know regardless of where the students go beyond Loyola, they will take that, that knowledge and that education with them. And rather than just being kind of passive members of a community, they're active. And not just internal to Loyola's campus, but I think about the students who attend York Road partnership meetings, even over winter break, right? When there's no rhyme or reason to why they should be there. Um, there's That's true students, Soul Kitchen too. That's true, that your stu students are at Soul Kitchen regularly mm -hmm. all year round, even when they are on break. Exactly, and I mean, for many of our students, particularly some students of color, um, they see York Road as an extension of their home here in Baltimore and on campus because it's a, a place of belonging. It's a place where they feel welcome. And so I think that partially students have a lot of unlearning to do when it comes to perceptions of our local York Road community. Um, but once folks meet residents and folks who are active, that, that information is empowering. And it also challenges them to look at Loyola as an institution to see what changes towards equity and inclusion can we make internally um, because there's a whole new, uh, there's a whole new 
subset of people who they know, who they trust, who they care about. Mm. And they see that Loyola isn't always the most welcoming place for community members. And so that's a real tension and a real challenge that often comes up when students learn more um, about our York Road community. Mm. Awesome. Yeah, and, and we should say just for anyone that's not familiar, Soul Kitchen is a weekly free meal um, served at Govins by Govins members and great volunteers in the community like students at Loyola. It's available to anybody that has need right now during the pandemic. It's to go, um, but around 4 to 6 p.m. on Sundays. And along with that, I'm wondering, I, I keep hearing about your work at the farmer's market. Uh, Marie, could you tell us more about that? Uh, it's probably the favorite, like my most favorite part of my job. I don't know who else has an office every Wednesday during the summertime that is outdoors. Um, and my whole job is creating a space of welcome. The farmer's market, I think, is one place where both sides of the corridor come together on a really consistent weekly basis. And it's a space of collaboration, um, of recognition of each other as neighbors. Um, but the farmer's market, the first intention was to create a space to provide access to fresh produce. And that really came out of the four focus areas, which you mentioned previously, Tom. Those focus areas were put forth by community residents. And that's something that I've appreciated about the York Road Initiative is that the work that we do is informed and directed by community. And so one of the first things that residents said was they asked for a farmer's market. And at an institution, right, we have the chairs, we have the tables, we have the credit card machines, and most importantly, we have the space. And so the farmer's market was one of the first programs of the York Road Initiative. It was started in 2011. And due to this kind of infrastructure that Loyola had, we were one of the first markets in the city of Baltimore that was able to accept EBT or SNAP, um, wow. also known as food stamps. And so that mission has really grown from just providing access to fresh produce to providing affordable access to fresh produce. So in addition to it accepting EBT, we also provide matching dollars to folks who utilize federal and local nutrition benefits. Um, we also really wanted to make it a space that felt welcome to local community. Um, so we have more than just farmers and vendors. We have events, we have giveaways, there's a back to school, a back to school event that happens every year. Um, and then lastly, we really wanted to take an eye in supporting our small local entrepreneurs. So all of our vendors are from Maryland. Um, but we really prioritize vendors from Baltimore City and most importantly, vendors from our local Govins community. Um, so over the years, it has really grown to be about half vendors from Baltimore City with a quarter being from Govins. And that's something that we're continuously working towards to increase the number of small local entrepreneurs from our own neighborhood who sell at that market to ensure that the funding and the, the economic benefit from that market goes right back into the local community. That's great. Uh, what's your favorite thing to buy at the farmer's market? 
Oh gosh. <laughs> like I'm such a veggie snob because of it, which is so awful. Um, you can follow along on our, our Instagram account, Govin's Market. That's pretty much all of the meals that I eat. <laughs> um, I think arguably folks would say the crabs are the most popular. Um, but I really appreciate the fresh peaches every year. The donut peaches, they're only there for like two weeks, but oh my gosh. Oh my so, gosh, that's great to know. I'm such a peach snob coming from North Carolina. <laughs> I'll have to have to try them out. That's on my list now. Uh, well, and talking about favorite gems, what are your favorite treasures of the York Road corridor more in general? What are your favorite local haunts? Oh my gosh, where do I begin? Um, I think a very little known space of peace along the York Road corridor is the Govins Urban Forest. And it's this mm. tiny little sliver of land right between CVS Pharmacy and Govins Boundary Church. And since 2013, it has totally been transformed. Um, Helene Perry, who is the co-chair of the York Road Partnerships Public Spaces and Greening Committee, really kind of stumbled upon this land that was an illegal dumping grounds. I remember the first time ever stepping into the forest, there was a pile of illegal dumping, probably as tall as I am. Um, and now there are walking trails, there are tree tags for all of the native trees. There's a, uh, a seating area for, and there's a lot of, um, educational pieces. So when local youth come, um, they can learn more about our urban environment here that's still present in the city. And so that's one of my favorite spaces. It's just a, a quick block away from my office. So whenever I need some time away from my computer and it's a nice day out, I love to go just sit there. Um, where I love to spend money though, Oh man, so <laughs> we have some of the best thrift shops, I think probably in the city. Illicit Rag Vintage, which is right off of Bologna Avenue is like dangerous for me. I can only go there every so often because I want to buy the whole store. And Danny who runs the store gives probably the best fashion advice. Like she always hypes you up and it's, just, it's a good time every time you go there. And then Wise Penny right next to the Senator, that's like old faithful. You can always find something great there. Awesome, awesome, good to know. Um, and, and Marie, you're already talking about all the work you do in the community, but why do you believe in Baltimore? What is it about Baltimore in particular that that keeps keeps you working at this? You know, I think I, I mentioned to you both that I've lived here almost my whole life in the Baltimore area, and I still am discovering new amazing things about the city. We have hundred over a hundred neighborhoods in Baltimore City, each one with their distinct, unique flavor, their own history, their own nuances full of amazing folks. Um, and there's just so much that I feel like I know and yet that I don't know at the same time. And so I think Baltimore is like an, an undercover gem in a sense. Uh, folks discount us, they write us off. 
because they don't understand the true beauty um, and the true resilience, honestly, that and the true power that is here in the city. Mm. Amen. Yeah, Maria, I just love, I, I can hear in your voice the genuine enthusiasm and affection for the city and for the, the local community. Uh, and it's just so great to hear how, I mean, you're, you're, I can hear your, your voice light up when you talk about the, the thrift stores and the <laughs> farmer's market and you know all of the wonderful things about this, this area. So uh, I'm so grateful that you are doing this work to make the area even better. So thank you to you and Loyola. Thank you. Thank you both for having me and thank you both for continuing to share the stories that so often go unheard. Speaking of stories, each episode we turn toward a story from our religious tradition. At Govins, we're part of the Christian tradition, but our goal is to not be bound just within Christianity, but to have good conversations and good stories across all of those religious divides. Um, so we take a moment uh, with each of our guests to read a passage together from a worship service at Govins, and then we have a dialogue. What's interesting, challenging, awesome, not so awesome about that story. Uh, we don't expect our guests to have any particular religious tradition or any faith at all. Um, but I am wondering, Marie, when you got our invitation to come talk about the community, but also a Bible story, uh, what'd you think? How did that sound to you? I was joking with Tom. <laughs> I was saying that this is the perfect opportunity to put all of my Catholic school education to service. My mom's going to be so proud. <laughs> definitely, all right, mom, let's definitely, not. <laughs> yep, yep, we're going to make sure your mom hears this. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Tom, what's our story for today? All right, so we are reading the story of the stoning of Stephen. So it's a, it's a martyr story. Uh, a little context, uh, the early church. The church has just been born. So Jesus has been crucified and risen, and the disciples have had this sort of ecstatic experience of the risen Christ and are empowered to go out into the world. And then they bring in a few more leaders and send them out. And Stephen's one of those leaders. So very early in the spread of Christianity, Stephen was one of the ones who was going out and, and sharing the message. So this is what it says from Acts 6, verse 8. Stephen, full of grace and power, did great wonders and signs among the people, but they could not withstand the wisdom of the spirit with which he spoke. Then they secretly instigated some men to say, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people as well as the elders and the scribes. Then they suddenly confronted him, seized him, and brought him before the council. They set up false witnesses who said, this man never stops saying things against this holy place in the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses handed on to us. And all who sat in the council looked intently at him, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Stephen replied, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ear, you are forever opposing the Holy Spirit just as your ancestors used to do. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, and now you have become his betrayers and murderers. You are the ones that received the law as ordained by angels, and yet you have not kept it. When they heard these things, they became enraged 
and ground their teeth at Stephen. But filled with the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears and with a loud shout all rushed together against him. Then they dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he died. Whenever we read these stories with people, I always feel like saying, wow, that was quite a story. (laughs) (laughs) Something about reading the Bible with people that um, I've never read it before makes me hear it differently. Uh, so what's your what's your initial response, Marie, to that story? What stands out to you? What surprises you? What challenges you? Yeah, I mean, I think that story is just, to me, my mind immediately goes to Baltimore and particularly to the voices of Black and Brown people in Baltimore that have gone unheard or that have been pushed aside for generations. Um, And, you know, (laughs) I think about the consent decree, right? And it Mm. took uh, the Department of Justice to come to Baltimore to hear the thoughts and words of Black people in our community who had been saying the same thing for decades. Um, But in order for others to hear them, for white people to hear them, there had to be a consent decree in order to change the culture of the police. Um, And so I just think about perceptions of Baltimore And yet, if we only listen to the voices of those who are most marginalized, those who are closest to the issue, um, that how much further ahead we would be in the work towards justice and towards equity here in our city. Well said, beautifully said. And so you're seeing, you're, you're making the connection between Stephen and marginalized voices and the connection between uh, those who stoned him as those in the community with power and privilege who abuse that power and privilege to to silence the the other voices. Is that right? Yeah, and that, you know, so many folks have been persecuted, who have lost their life to, you know, being put in prison um, or police brutality who are unable to, um, who have been marginalized by the system uh, who were speaking the truth the whole time, right? That Jesus is here, Jesus is coming. These are my experiences. These are the things that need to change, right? Constantly being unheard, unlistened to, and continued to be persecuted. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. In some biblical traditions, we translate you know, the people in power as the Jewish authorities, um, but more often, thank goodness, in response to anti-Semitism, uh, we see biblical transitions moving toward the ruling authorities and the people in power, which is more descriptive, right, of, of what was actually happening. Um, I love that connection I see you drawing as well between who's stoning whom and, and really where the power lies. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would absolutely affirm 
that as well. That this there's a there is a historical precedent and uh, an evil precedent for you know taking Stephen's words as the Jews killed Jesus. Yeah. Uh, but but what what this passage is really speaking to is the way the powerful silence and destroy the powerless, and that's what lifts this passage out of whatever time and whatever conflict it happened in and makes it universal. And so I'm, I'm wondering, Marie, kind of following up on that local comparison, if we were rewriting this story um, right now, uh, what would be different? How, how might it end differently or, or how could we reimagine it or, or what would be the same? Well, I think at the end of the story, he's, he's stoned ultimately, right? Mm -hmm. And so he loses his life for speaking the truth. And so so many folks, like I said, have lost their life. And imagine a world where Stephen was trusted, was believed. Um, and rather than being stoned, that message was able to be broadcast more widely. Mm. And the amazing humans that are behind bars, um, the amazing humans who are not given a chance on a day-to-day -day basis to participate as citizens, right? And I think about how much better our world could be if we took a restorative approach. If the Jesus story is not enough of an argument against capital punishment, I, I think this right here is, right? <laughs> Toward a more justice and community and, and restorative approach, definitely. Amen. And Marie, I think the way the work that you're doing and the work that Loyola is doing with community building and relationship building is, is part of the work of doing restorative kind of justice before it even gets to a justice, to a criminal justice place. And so why was Stephen standing alone? Where was his community standing hmm. with him? Uh, and if we can build the relationships that you and Loyola and the York Road Partnership are trying to build with one another, nobody's gonna be out there uh, facing, facing the powers and the principalities by themselves. Mm -hmm. and so that's kind of one of the hopes I have for how this story can end differently today. Yeah, and I think so much in the context of our local work, right? Thinking about here in Govins, like not just folks in our very local community, but broadly, they don't want to give up what they think they know, right? This is my truth. I'm going to stand by my truth. And so when somebody says something that is alternate or sometimes difficult to hear, um, there's an immediate move to go to a space of distrust or, you know, sometimes violence. Um, and so I think particularly related to this story, it, it demonstrates really clearly sometimes what happens when folks cling on to their own ideas um, and the power and that could happen if we were open to hearing more and learning more. I think when people have stones in their hands, uh, we, we do more violence. And I think you're really building the tools to imagine a different reaction, right? I, I wonder what would have been different if there weren't any stones around, you know, mm. if instead there was a place to sit, if instead there was a place to talk, if instead there was to share or do together. Amen. 
Um, and so often it's those assumptions that it feels like you're, you're breaking down um, and just drawing people's attention to as well. Thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. I think so much of the work is listening, particularly for white people. And I think the first question is always, well, what should I do, right? When white people ask folks of color, black and brown and indigenous folks, what can I do? When really black, brown and indigenous folks have been saying for generations exactly what the work of white people should be. Um, and so I think taking a look internal, um, doing the work, both looking at history um, in a broader sense, but also personal family history is really important in undoing some of the stones that have been thrown already, right? Um, and so I think part of our work is listening to each other here along the York Road community, um, evaluating who we spend our time with, who we treat as experts, um, and really taking it upon ourselves to reach out, to bridge the gap, but also to build trust. Um, and we can only build trust through consistent relationship building, through consistent showing up and proving of ourselves that we are here as not just allies, but also advocates together to create something new um, and something that really lives, takes us to the next space of where I think our community can be. Well, as we come to the end, let, let me just circle back because uh, I think what you, the point you made was so important about the listening and it connected so clearly with the story because what did the people with power do when Stephen spoke his truth to them? It literally says they covered their ears and with mm -hmm. a loud shout, they all rushed against him. And thinking about how hard it is for people with power and privilege to be criticized and to stay open and to listen. We are in our racial justice ministry at Govins, we're working on just that. And sort of as this progressive white con congregation, as we've brought Leah Gilmore on to lead us through this process as our minister of racial justice, uh, you know, all the white progressives are like, let's do something, let's do something. And Leah's been teaching us, yeah, we, we can do something, we'll do something, but you all need to listen, you need mm -hmm. to educate yourselves. And, you know, we're like, no, no more book studies. And <laughs> she's like, no, this is hard work. This is work, this is deep spiritual work. Uh, so yeah, you can do stuff and get active and get engaged, but you can't skip the, the, the listening part. So mm -hmm. I really appreciate that you said that. Yeah, well, and it's such a false choice, right? Between mm. learning and reflecting and doing, right? And, and I think it's one way that we keep ourselves out of action and, and in that state of inaction mm -hmm. is that kind of demand of perfectionism. And it's how we critique others that are doing the work as well. Um, mm -hmm. And I love that kind of active, um, active reflection, learning uh, conversation that you're pointing us toward. Mm -hmm. And I definitely see it as a spiral, right? Mm. The more you learn, the more you can do the more that you can grow, right? And so it's, you're just building upon one thing and growing and growing rather than staying in one spot. Mm. Amen, love the spiral. 
That's it for our conversation with Marie. If you loved that conversation and want more of them, help us out by rating and reviewing Believe in Baltimore wherever you get your podcasts. And remind your friends that they can download the latest episode on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or Radio Public. Likewise, we want your questions, your ideas, your comments. Let us know what you loved, what you hated, what you're still wondering about. Email me, Billy, at govinsprez.org. Likewise, please share the podcast with your neighbors, your friends, and families, and follow all the great things happening at Govins on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or by visiting our website, govinsprez.org. We are very excited about our next episode with Megan and Shane of Hex Ferments. We're going to look forward to that great conversation about kombucha and sauerkraut and the Bible in the community. We also want to invite you to our next racial justice speaker series at Govins, which will be Saturday, May 15th at 2 p.m. Our speaker is Sharita Brown Cole. She'll be speaking about her book, Defying the Verdict, My Bipolar Life, African-Americans and Mental Health from a Social Justice Perspective. We're thrilled and excited about this great author and this great topic for our speaker series on May 15th. And you can watch this amazing speaker on Facebook, live on Facebook at Govan Presbyterian Church's Facebook page. And we'll put more information about how to connect with that program in the show notes. And now as we go from here, seeking to open our ears and open our hearts to the community around us, as we seek to speak out our truth and empower those around us to speak their truth, we ask that you will see beauty every time you open your eyes and that you will hear truth every time you listen that we will all breathe every breath as a blessing and walk humbly upon the earth, and that we will live in love for each other, for ourselves, and for our enemies. And so we will live in the presence of God. Amen.